0: Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. talk about beer. And this week, we meet Simone Clements, head brewer at Gage Roads' large new waterfront brew pub in Fremantle. In this conversation, we hear how Simone got her start in the brewing industry after starting her working career as an environmental scientist. Simone describes how she came to brewing starting in the laboratory at Gage Roads working as a quality officer, to being encouraged to step into a brewing role, and then her progression to head brewer at Fremantle. It's a great conversation about the rapidly changing brewing industry and the market for beer, as well as the many things Simone has learned in her career to date. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Simone Clements, welcome to Beer as a Conversation.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for being had, as they say. And uh, and now we we the joy of being at the end of COVID is I get to sit in the new uh, Gage Roads. You're a Fremantle Brewhouse, um, or at least in the offices behind it, um, having just had a beer out, out the front, and get to meet you face-to-face. So thank you very much for, for having me here.
1: No worries. Very exciting times. It, it, Post-COVID.
0: It, it, Post-COVID <laughs> and with a venue open. So, look, let's start by um, asking my favourite question. Tell me, who is Simone Clements?
1: Well, um, I guess first and foremost these days, I'm a, a brewer. I've been in Perth most of my life. Attempted to move away a couple of times and found myself back here, so... So you're
0: a Perth girl, born yes. and, born and raised?
1: I am, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty nice place to live, I reckon. Um, nice nice natural scenery, good weather, um, chilled people. So, yeah, I like it.
0: And Okay, so you've tried to move away, but let's go back. Your background, you grew up in Perth, you went to school here... What was the out-of-school ambition? Was it to be a brewer?
1: No, not at all. I was um, keen on biology. Uh, so I did biology at uni and had dreams of sort of um, working out in nature, maybe collecting specimens of bugs or plants or something like that. Uh, yeah, so I was pretty pretty into nature from a young age and found myself doing environmental science as a job after uni. Which was um, a bit of mining work, so not as much of their kind of.
0: So, you did an environmental science degree. Was that based on the love of science and nature, or?
1: Uh, so, I did biology oh, and okay. yeah, environmental science uh, as a minor, right. uh, but then ended up working in that field afterwards.
0: How come you didn't end up out in the uh, sort of doing the collecting that you'd, you'd wanted to do?
1: Um, I think it was a bit of a lack of jobs at the time <laughs> I graduated. I think we we're in the, you know, the bit of a downturn, so wasn't too much in that field going on um a bit more in the the mine site arena so kind of contaminated sites environmental stuff um so you know at that point I'd been looking for a job for quite a while and was kind of really stoked to to get that one so
0: contaminated sites doesn't sound like the sexy job it doesn't sort of sound like the job you used to say oh I can- Trying to work on contaminated sites.
1: Yeah, not really. It's kind of something like Erin uh, Brockovich, you know, so <laughs> you could put a bit of a, a fun spin on it. But, um, yeah, it was it was a lot of uh, dusty work out in the Pilbara, um, setting up air monitors and, uh, you know, digging up soil samples and that kind of thing. Um, so it was, it was good fun. It's
0: interesting and it's something that we'll, we'll come to it as, you know, women in the brewing industry... Is a, is a bit of a hot topic, but working in the mining industry is another very male-dominated industry, but then some of the things like environmental sciences, uh, you do see a lot of the environmental engineers that, that work um, you know, are women. Um, how did you find that experience, particularly as a very young woman, I would imagine at that stage?
1: Mm, yeah. Um, in the, the workplace I was at, it was, you know, pretty close to a 50, 50 mix, which was really nice. But then actually going out to the mine sites, so it was definitely quite male dominated because, you know, you're surrounded by all the, the truck drivers mm. and, you know, all the, the people on the mine site. So that's, um, pretty male heavy. Um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, lots of females around in kind of, um, yeah, in the enviro and sort of health and safety as well. I've yep. a lot. Not too bad, though. I think, um, yeah, I didn't have any bad experiences uh, working out there, so...
0: It's interesting that you say that it was the HR and the environmental side and the mining. It's almost like there was the male roles and then some of the, for want of a better expression, the softer roles. Um, Was that the case or was was it a case of it was um, a gradual progression of women into the mining side as well?
1: Um, I think at that time... It, yeah, the, um, those, as you say, kind of softer professions. I, I,
0: I, yeah, it, it's, I, it's, I was searching for the right words <laughs> yeah. with that, but it's uh, coming from, a, I'll just, um, explain that coming from the journalism background, I remember that there, that was always the, um, one of the ways it was described was that public relations and marketing roles tended to, uh, attract women because they were softer. So it, mm. it, it's, it's a phrase that's been used in other industries.
1: Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, back in the day, you know, all the, the truck drivers I met were guys, um, but, you know, in recent years, um, for example, doing a, a training course a little while ago, um, I met lots of mining types and, you know, were, I met a couple of female truck drivers um, and all sorts of, uh, yeah, different females in different roles, so it was, it was good to see and I think, um, yeah, it just become more common to see females in all aspects of all kind of industry.
0: And and was there a barrier or resistance to that? Or was it just part of the evolution that that you were seeing?
1: I think it's just more of an evolution thing. I guess a bit of mindset. You know, when I was um, looking for a career path, it never entered my mind to want to become a, you know, like a a driller or anything like Mm. that. Um, But if I had known, you know, maybe some older women who were already in that role, you know, I'd probably look at them and, see them as role models and think oh okay this is something you know it's an option do I want to consider this or is it not really interesting for me so yeah I think um, as we progress just seeing women in those different roles will be you know a bit of a um, a, I guess an inspiration for, for younger women to want to take on different career opportunities if they want to.
0: At what point did you decide that maybe the environmental sciences and the contaminated sites weren't your future? And how did that lead to, I want to go out and become a yeast farmer? Yeah. <laughs> For <want> of it.
1: <laughs> Good phrase. Um, so I just, uh, I was doing a bit of asbestos monitoring and just became a little bit um, bit anxious about that whole side of things. Um ah, okay. So, kind of decided it wasn't for me, really, and and uh, thought, you know, um, maybe I would consider something else, um, maybe try and get back into, or look for a more biology-oriented type of role. Um, but at that point, I then decided to go travelling, and that ended up going for a couple of years, and then uh, coming back, my life sort of a different course.
0: (laughs) How how so? Was there anything specific? Like was there any life-changing event or?
1: Um, A little bit. So when I was traveling I did a couple of um, uh, volunteering stints Uh, and one was at a winery and then I did a couple of weeks at a brewery as well and I thought both of those things were really great fun Um, and I've always been into food and you know nice drinks as well so I thought something in the, the food or beverage industry could be really cool. Um, so I had that in my mind. Um, and then when I got back to Perth, uh, I saw this, the job come up at Gage, um, which what the, um, the first job that I had there was uh, as a quality officer in the lab. Um, and I had some background, lab experience and kind of scientific background. So that, that really suited um, my background. And that was where my beer career started.
0: So what was it about the quality? So did you have, you you had some lab experience. Day one working at Gage, did you have, you know, did did you know what was expected in terms of beer quality? Were you a beer drinker, you know, for example?
1: I was a beer drinker. I drank Carlton Draft in uni and that was about it. Um, So, and I was a fan of Little Creatures. um, And while I was overseas, I got to, Try beers from around the place, Spent a uh, bit of time in Germany, so I was uh, drinking some awesome German beers there, which is great. And uh, But, yeah, my palate wasn't very refined. I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, I knew that I liked it, you know, uh, but didn't know much about it.
0: And that's the interesting thing because, you know, beer quality on one hand is I like this beer, it's a quality beer, but you were working in, walking into a lab where quality has a completely different – Set of parameters has got a very different meaning. So, did you know what beer quality was in that sense when when, when you walked into the lab?
1: No, not really, not at all. Um, I quickly learnt that it takes many different um, components to make a good quality beer. So, I was uh, doing sort of quality checks on the the glassware and the the crown closures. Okay, uh, I was doing microbiology testing. I was taking water samples and testing those. So all sorts of things. So yeah, quickly started to learn what went into making a good beer.
0: Engage has always been. It, it, it's one of the breweries that has probably incubated more brewing industry professionals than just about anywhere. And we were building a database of where people have done their training. Engage is certainly one of the bigger um, blobs uh, when it, when you look at the weight of numbers. Um, how was the training? Um, what when, when they? when when you started did they step you through it or were you left to learn very much by yourself
1: yeah I had a good training process Uh, so I was working in the lab um, with another girl and she trained me up basically and we sort of after I was trained up we went to a split shift system so yeah she was very knowledgeable Uh, my boss was really good as well and yeah had a lot of support during that time so that was really good and
0: was it just an alternative career to the one that you'd looked at? Did you see it as a transition to something else, or was it something that you found that this is actually what I enjoy doing?
1: At first, I wasn't convinced that I would be there for a super long amount of time. Uh, and it was, you know, just a job that sounded fun and I would um, have a go and, and see how it went. But then, reasonably quickly, um, I. Fell in love with the beer industry and uh, and decided that I wanted to stay.
0: Why is that? It's
1: just a fun environment, a fun atmosphere, surrounded by people who are really passionate for what they're doing, and you know, you get to go go to some great events as well.
0: <laughs> what is it about the brewing industry? Do you think that does that, that, that creates that passion? Um, you know. I And I come from it, there was a time when, you know, craft beer, people debate endlessly what craft beer was, and we've moved beyond that. But there just seems to be something about the liquid and the industry that inspires passion. What do you think drives that?
1: I think the industry, well, brewers especially, they're people who really, they get involved in learning everything about the liquid. Um, So there's a lot to learn there, and people just... Really get on board with that and try and like, find out as much as they can. A lot of guys, you know, a lot of people at work in the brewing team are, are home brewers already. So they're just—it's a really interesting topic, and I think people just want to learn as much as they can about it.
0: And were you a home brewer? Had you ever been a home brewer?
1: I had made like a couple of batches or been involved at uni yeah. for the cheap
0: <laughs> for, for for the cheap ethanol. No, surprisingly <laughs> not. No.
1: <laughs> Uh, no, my, my partner did, has made a couple of batches of homebrew, so I got slightly involved in that. Um, we have a big mulberry tree at home, so I've made some, uh, some cider, Okay, uh, which was interesting, and it ended up being like a mixed ferment cider, because uh, I just chucked the mulberry straight in there, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, done a little bit, but not really all that much.
0: Can I ask if it was good or bad homebrew? It was good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, you never ask homebrew. It's my palate because, back
1: in the day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no the the uh, the mulberry cider I thought it was really good, um, and the the homebrew yeah look there were probably a few faults with that but <laughs> yeah mixed
0: it can go anywhere. Mm, a- have yep. you tried to recreate that here now that you've got?
1: No, maybe I will. <laughs> Need a lot of mulberries. (laughs) You would
0: need a lot of mulberries. And mulberries aren't a fruit that lasts very well over.
1: No, no. You'd have to pick them and then hurry them down to the brewery pretty quick.
0: Yeah. Uh, So, okay. So, you're working in the lab. You've just started to have this realization that this isn't a bad industry to be part of. At what point did it become that you wanted to actually make the beer?
1: So, after about three years in the lab, I was looking for a new challenge and... You know, I loved the industry, wanted to continue in the industry and thought, you know, brewing is the no-brainer. And the thing that was holding me back was the shift work. Um, So I thought about it for a long time. And then um, at the pub one day at a work event, I uh, finally approached the brewing manager after several beverages (laughs) and, uh, and told him I'd be keen to become a brewer. And he was really keen. Um, so, we, you know, we had a, a chat about it. But then the next, or the next week at work, um, I went to him and I, was, I said, sorry, no, that was just the, the beer talking. I'm not keen. <laughs> uh,
0: so what, what led you to back out? Or uh, an attempt to back out, I should say.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just just the shift work it was really worrying me. So you Why know it was something I wanted to do. It, it, um. Oh, so yeah. it's, uh, it's a it's pretty hectic kind of night sh- day shift night shift yeah. schedule. So twelve hour shifts. Um. Yeah. Days and then nights. Um. On a rotating schedule. So, um. Yeah. It's it's a tough gig, but. Um, yeah, eventually, uh, I think it was probably a month after that, I then went back to the brewing manager and said, uh, actually, can I can I please be a brewer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> because for people that are listening at home who are either um, in or outside the industry, Gage is a production brew house, so it's you know, not de-glamorising in any way. It, it, it's a factory that works on shifts to get the production out and, and, and maximise the equipment. Is that a fair... You know, you know is that a fair description you know the, the beer is elegant and it's you know, all of those sorts of things but it is a production facility
1: mm, yeah that yeah um if yeah anyone who goes to visit it will see it's a huge place you know running sometimes 24 um, 7 other times 24 uh, 5 depending on how busy it is but yeah. yeah it's a it's a big place running around the clock pumping out beer
0: Claire Burnett, um, our senior journalist, who I think you've spoken to um, previously, uh, wrote an article recently looking at, um, you know, parental leave and uh, uh, parenting in, in in the brewing industry and the challenges that it's a hard physical industry that if we want to be more inclusive needs to look at itself. Um, is is that an element of it that you you know give given your experience? You know, do you have any observations about how the industry can change to? Be more inclusive?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I don't have kids myself, um, so I haven't had to deal with that sort of thing. Mm. But, um, you know, some of the brewing team members I do see have got, you know, young kids, even newborns, and they're trying to um, juggle family life with, you know, work duties as well. And it's, it's definitely.
0: But even things like, even without the parenting side of it, I was listening to a podcast recently um, where Melissa Cole, the English uh, beer writer, was saying that, you know, there is a certain machismo involved in blokes lifting, you know, heavy kegs and things like that. That's almost like the, the, the thing that they have to do that isn't good for them um, and, and their bodies. But then certainly it, it, it has been something that I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know stops the industry being more inclusive is is i mean is that an element that that you found
1: yeah I'd, I'd agree um i i know a few brewers around that um are you know pretty keen on their health and safety mm. and when someone speaks out and says you know this is not good for my back uh it kind of encourages or allows other people around them who might be feeling the same way to agree with them and maybe speak up. Yeah. Um, well, so. I mean,
0: I'm, I'm not built to sling 25 kilo bags of malt <laughs> you know, around a brew house. So it's it's not, mm. you know, it, it's not even a necessarily a gender thing. And you, you do hear a lot of older brewers talking about they're glad that they're not on the tools anymore, mm. which seems that we're lo- losing a lot of experience mm. um, if the industry doesn't change.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely a tough job, um, yeah. physically tough at times. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think it's a bit of an ongoing challenge as to how to fix that. (laughs) Okay, so anyway,
0: we've completely gone down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but you were talking about, so you approached uh, the the brewing uh, manager and Mm. after a few bevvies had uh, suggested that you might want to do it, then you backed out. And then how did you, did you change your mind or was your mind assisted to be changed?
1: No, it was all me and, you know, it was what I really wanted to do. Yep. And I just had these reservations and, um, you know, eventually it just took me a while to overcome them and, uh, and actually do what I wanted to do. But I got there in the end. And and,
0: and what changed your mind? How, how, how did you, you know, was it just, well, I've got, this is something I've got to do if I want to do what I want to do.
1: Yeah. It just kept popping up in my, in my brain. Um, you know, just, makes sense to go and do it like it's something you want to do it's um it would be you know a great like skill to learn if you want to stay in the industry it makes sense to have a go and and uh yeah just just persistence of my brain got me there
0: (laughs) (laughs) did did you have a good idea of what brewing involved um by that stage because you'd seen it up close and you knew what it was
1: yeah, I had a reasonable idea. Um, you know, I had lots of interactions with the brewing team and kind of saw them running around all over the place. I knew it was going to be tough, um, physically demanding and yeah, and all of that. Uh, didn't really have an idea of, you know, how all the equipment was uh, going to be run or, you know, kind of how to run a shift and all that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, there was, um, there was definitely a lot to learn for sure at the start.
0: What was it about brewing that captivated you when, when when you did see it um from from the you know, uh, quality lab?
1: Um, yeah, just you know being involved kind of from start to finish um you know the the work production and seeing it all the way through and learning about you know different effects that um you know the production has on the the final product, so just um really getting in and, and learning how to do it all.
0: Did your interest in biology and science when you were younger, was there an overlap there or was there something about, you know, the, the way we're all wired to have interest? Was was that part of it, that it was essentially a giant science experiment in a way? Um,
1: I don't think the two were really linked. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a happy accident. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so it's not. I've got these skills, and these mm. will apply here. It was something else about brewing. No,
1: it was yeah. It was more about just the the beer itself, I guess. Um, yeah, it wasn't. It was not really at any point was I like, oh, I've uh, done biology. That'll fit well with a brewing career. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just just a bit of an accident.
0: Did it help though? Because I, I, I'm a humanities student. I deal in words. And science isn't my second or even third language um but I, 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 it's so it's harder for me to come to some of those understandings was it was it a help to you to have that background
1: yeah absolutely um in many ways uh so with um yeast wrangling as you, you said <laughs> before uh so you know we use a microscope to check yeast health and do all sorts of tests and that were you know very similar to things i was doing at uni Um, just general use of the, um, the lab equipment, uh, kind of used similar things to all of that stuff before. So yeah, it was definitely a good stepping stone.
0: When you started, where did you start? So what, what, what's the starting brewer do at at Gage Roads?
1: I started off in filtration. So we've got three general areas. So there's filtration, there's work production. So actually on the brew kit and then there's cellaring. Um, so generally you'll either start off, um, in one of those areas. Um, so I started off in filtration and focused on that for quite a while and then, um, and then picked up a bit of the cellaring stuff on the, along the way and then, uh, eventually did some work production.
0: And. Did you have a favorite? Like, did you learn different things at each stage, or is it all part of the same brewing element, but just with different day to day tasks?
1: Uh, it's pretty different. Um, and I think whatever you start doing first is going to be the most intense and scary. I mean, it's a huge. Factory, as you've said, and um, there's a whole software.
0: I, I, you say that as if I've sort of demeaned it, but no, it's no, just, no. just kind of <laughs> trying to capture that it's that there is this romance about brewing, but at the end of the day, it's a you're making widgets, and the widget happens to be beer mm. or or alcohol.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So big, big place, uh, lots of software to learn. So mm. that's a real, um, that's a big step, uh, just getting your head around the software. Yep, um, and then. Yeah, just all the different bits of machinery and their various quirks. Um so yeah, the the work production side is um a bit more streamlined, you're doing the same thing every day whereas the filtration side it's there's a lot of different things that you can do. Um so yeah, involving different bits of uh plant all over the place. Um so yeah, I think uh, the filtration side's a bit more challenging and and brewing, you're just kind of like steadily knocking beers out, which is, <laughs> it, is good fun.
0: It is funny that you say that about work production because Anthony Bourdain, who's, who wrote a lot about chefing and things like that, and he's talked about the passionate home chef who or the home cook who spends a week planning a menu for his guests and, or his, his or her guests and um, you know spends hours shopping and cooks and never has to worry about time and budgets or things like that and has his signature dish. And it's great until you have to knock 200 cot covers a night of the Mm. same dish out and they've all got to be the same and it completely changes your relationship with the thing that you're making. Mm. Um, And and that's what wort production is like. It's got to be the same every time, Mm. I'd I'd imagine.
1: Absolutely. And someone has asked me in the past, you know, what's your favourite beer to make? And I think my answer was like, you know, just a lager that doesn't have any dry hops. Uh, It's just (laughs) (laughs) easy you kind of it you know it doesn't give you any challenges through processing so
0: why is that because it doesn't give you the challenges you there's fewer variables that you can't control or you need to yeah, guess yeah
1: yeah less chance for things to block up or you know various <laughs> kind of dry hopping machines to break down and that sort of thing <laughs> that's
0: it, it it's that's an interesting observation because you know craft brewing was always about the art of making beer and you know these creatives who you know wearing their berets and sort of saying we're going to do something different every time but mm. it, it sounds like <laughs> when you're actually doing it it that's hard being creative and doing something has has challenges whereas it's you know
1: mm. yeah and it's not to say that i don't really like making it you know triple dry hopped sour ipa or something like that um but it it uh yeah it just gives you more challenges at times
0: Hi everyone, this is Matt. We're breaking into this podcast for a word from our sponsor, as we like to say. But not just any sponsor, as you know at Brews News, we're very selective who we work with. And this is a special partnership with Lark Whiskey, which is soon to release the fifth incarnation of its collaboration with Wolf of the Willows Brewery. In this annual exchange of ideas and whiskey barrels between Lark and Wolf, Lark hand-selects whisky casks and sends them to the Victorian-based brewery, who fills them with Imperial Johnny Smoke Porter. Before it is decanted, and the now beer-infused casks are filled with single malt whisky. Hang around at the end of this podcast to hear my chat with Chris Thompson, Master Distiller at Lark, and how he discusses the collaboration. But here's a bit of a teaser that actually comes from my preliminary chat with Chris, who gives me some surprising insights when I ask him what beer should do to become a little bit more like
2: whiskey in the consumer's mind. Beer shouldn't try and be like whiskey. Whiskey should try and be like beer. The rituals involved with beer are integrated into society. They're not pretentious and they add so much. At Lark, we are trying to be more like beer, more democratic, more open and more welcoming to to new drinkers. Traditionally, that's not what whiskey has been. Beer shouldn't be trying to be a more serious drink it should be a fun but complex and continue to add to society.
0: Now that definitely was not the answer I was expecting and if you enjoyed that please hang around at the end of this podcast to hear more about Chris's approach to whiskey in this bonus chat. It's a really fascinating insight into the partnership between beer and whiskey. Now, feel free to say no to, to this question because I'm I'm asking for, because I'm just trying to sort of picture where you are in in your career. Can I ask how old you are now?
1: Yep, I'm 34. Oh, you're
0: 34. Okay. Mm. So, when did you start at Gauge? Uh,
1: 2014, I believe.
0: Okay, so eight years ago, so you were 26? Yep. yep, sounds about right. Uh, around about 26, okay. So, uh, and this helps me phrase any pop culture references I might throw into, because yep, you're not going to know any of my music, um, and I probably won't know yours. Okay, so you, you, you've been working for eight years, and in the last 12 months, you've been appointed the head brewer here um, at at the, the new brewery uh, down on the dock, or what, uh, what, what do we call
1: Oh, I'd call it A-shed. Um, A-shed. Yeah, yep.
0: the, the port. The, the port, yep. okay, sorry, um, <laughs> all of the ships out, it looks like a dock to me. Yeah, all good. Um, so did you have a uh, an established position at the production facility before this opened up?
1: Yeah, so... Um, was in the brewing team for three, I think three and a half years before, sort of been appointed as the head brewer, and then got maybe six months um, to sort of plan for this place. So kind of, um, you know, purchasing equipment and uh, looking at tank designs and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then when we started,
0: so you were responsible for all of that. Uh, I was part of the team. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, I was involved. Yeah, and then when we started works to build this place, I was down here helping out on the forklift, moving tanks around, and all (laughs) sorts of things. So yeah,
0: where do you get the skills for that? Uh, Because that's not too many brewers get to build new breweries during their career because Mm. of the 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 nature of the industry and the cost involved.
1: Yeah, on the job training. Okay. Yeah, so just, uh, you know, kind of my own research and getting help from the, the project manager and, uh, yeah, basically just learning as I go.
0: Is it something you'd want to do again?
1: I I think I would. It was, I mean, it's been stressful, um, but I think if I had another go, I'd know how to do it a bit better um, and probably be more helpful and, and uh, yeah, know what I was doing a bit more.
0: I had the same experience with renovating a house. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's part of like I've learned all of these things I'd love to be able to use again, but mm. I don't know if I want to. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> w- w- was that your experience?
1: Uh, probably um, maybe uh, my experience was a bit more positive. I'll de- okay. definitely have another go. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. so, so tell us about A Shed. Um, it, it's it's a big um, former warehouse or it, it's it's a...
1: Yeah, it's been um, been kind of storage and warehouse. Yep. It was originally a, a railway station um, right back in the day. Right, okay, yeah.
0: as part of the the freight mm. for the Fremantle docks. Yeah, um, yep, that's okay. right, yep. And we're right on the water. In terms of being the lead brewer here or the, the, the head brewer? Head brewer, he- yeah. Head brewer, mm-hmm. um, instead of being in the... Being the head brewer down here, do you have different considerations for the beers that you create here than you would in the Gage Road production facility?
1: Yeah, I've been trying to uh, make a bit of a range of beers. Um, So, you know, something for the person who wants to come in and have a bit of a higher alcohol, you know, heaps of hops kind of Beer, uh, been making some sours, uh, doing a few. Which I'm having now. Well. I'm having a cucumber sour now. Great, fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just just trying out some different techniques and and different styles um, that we wouldn't be able to make all that often up the road. So,
0: but at the same time, it's not a small little brew pub that you've you've got downstairs. Talk us through the 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 kit and the size.
1: So it's a 25 hectolitre brew kit, mm-hmm. and we've got. Six fermenters, which are all five thousand liters each, and then um, ten right tanks, which are all serving tanks, uh, and they're also five thousand liters each. So everything
0: brewed on site is consumed on site, or do you? so, So there's no packaging; it's all for here.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep, we may get a kegger in one day, but at the moment, it's just for just for the venue.
0: So, from a brewer's point of view, do you sit down and say, "Well, this is what"? Is selling well this is what i'll make or do you say this is what i want to make this is what the trends are or you know this is just what i feel like making
1: uh a bit of all of the above really okay um i've been doing a bit of experimentation for um you know things we may one day want to try out uh at the at Palmyra, um the main factory um so it is
0: a bit of an r&d facility for, for for the bigger brewery
1: yeah yeah a little bit of that going on yep um so yeah Get some, got some experimental hops and trying those out, see how they go, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, I think if I wanted to make a English brown ale with raspberries in it and you know pudding or something one day, then <laughs> I don't think anyone would be too upset if I went ahead and did that.
0: Is that? It sounds like <laughs> there's some thought behind that one, unless you just very randomly. Maybe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe not the pudding bit. <laughs> okay.
0: What is the, 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 the crowd here? Because, it, you know, it, it's on the water, very tourist-focused um, venue. Do you stand on the brew deck and look at the people who are out there and sort of think, what do they want?
1: Um, a little bit, yeah. I think people are keen to try new things, you know. If they, they come in, they want to, you know, maybe try a couple of beers and then end up having a single fin, but then going on to, you know, maybe next time they come down, they'll have a, a pint of sour or something like that, potentially. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, i definitely look at the sales, see what's selling well and if something is doing really well, I'll make that one again.
0: When you started here and it was a, a clean slate, the venue hadn't been opened and you'd come from the Palmyra, um, Palmyra um, venue where you were producing much bigger um, volumes. What was your learning process to take over the... Kit down here and start thinking, did, did you have guidance from some of the other brewers? or
1: uh, I definitely sought out input from them. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, I was fairly free to, you know, just have a play around and, and chuck in whatever I felt like. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, yep, I definitely asked people for help and their opinions and what do you think of this and that.
0: What have you learned
1: uh, I have learned a lot about many things, um, so a lot apart from actually brewing, uh, all sorts of sort of purchasing, equipment repair, um, everything about, you know, different chemicals and dealing with suppliers, um, hosting tour groups, uh, all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's been a massive learning curve.
0: When you're working as part of a bigger organization that's got some very experienced people, um, and resources, I guess that's a little bit easier. You, you've got that support, but if, if this had been your venue that you'd financed, um, you know, maybe with a couple of friends, what would that, the experience have been like then? What would have been the difference in the experience, do you think?
1: It's definitely great having the support of, you know, a full maintenance team up the road. Um, you know, even if I'm trying not to call them down, at least it's just someone to, you know, call on the phone and ask advice. Uh, yeah, so that's been really good. I think, um, you know, if you're just doing it on your own with a few friends, you'd probably be reaching out to your, your network, I guess, if you hopefully you do have a network in the beer industry um, and just be asking people, oh, have you ever had this problem come up before, what did you do? Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely just good to have a network um, Yeah, wherever you can.
0: <laughs> have you done any study um, in, in the brewing side?
1: Yeah, I've done my uh, GCB, so General Certificate in Brewing from mm-hmm. the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, yep. and I have done Module 1 and 2 of the Diploma as well. Okay. Still to do the third one.
0: And and that's been helpful?
1: That has been really good, yeah. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, very uh, on topic, as you'd expect.
0: <laughs> so, in terms of coming from the science background, are, are you pleased you made the move into brewing? You, you've overcame that avoidance of shift work and things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's been a real good time. Uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, it's been it's been tough, but really good. Definitely worthwhile.
0: And what's the career plan? Where is your future in the industry? Do you think
1: I'm just really interested in uh, just Always kind of learning new things and being engaged. If I start to get bored in the same role, and kind of lose interest pretty quickly. Um, So I guess that's more of a focus for me than, you know, becoming CEO of, you know, Gage Roads or whatever. (laughs) Aaron will be pleased to (laughs) hear that. Yeah, watch out.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about beer and styles then. Over, Over my career in the industry, there have been so many new styles created. Where do you think beer is going? You know, what what in a venue like this, we've got that extra bit of flexibility. What are the styles that are coming through, and what are the styles that excite you?
1: So I I feel like at the moment there are a lot of interesting slash weird beers around, and good I, or bad thing. Yeah, I look good for the creativity. That's always good, um, but I think that you know some of those beers sometimes don't taste very good. But I think, um, you know, maybe as people do the more and more, yeah. the the quality will rise and then we'll have some crazy, crazy beers with all sorts of ingredients that'll be like really good all the time. Um, so, yeah, ho- hopefully the, the quality will improve there. But I think um, people, you know, might get sick of that and there'll be a bit of a return to more classic styles, which is maybe where I'm sitting at the moment, like it. I'm definitely...
0: We should have got you. We're doing a panel at the Western Australian Brewers Conference tomorrow talking about exactly that. Mm. So maybe we should have got you on the panel. So what's... Carlton Draft was your uni beer. Yep. (laughs) Then Germany and you sort of had the the European beers. What are the beers that you enjoy now? Like what are your go-to knockoff drinking for the pure pleasure of drinking beer?
1: I like... All sorts of beers, and I guess um, you know, going into winter, I'm getting into the dark beers a little bit. Um, dark lagers, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stouts, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, definitely keen on multi beers. Um, I think they're a bit underrated at the moment. You know, everyone's still on right in the hop craze a little bit, which is you know great. I love hops. Um, yeah, but the malt is a bit underrated. I feel. Yeah, and then in summer, sours. Fantastic, just easy-drinking lagers. Um, you know, I I really enjoy mid-strengths as well, so mm-hmm. I can have a few and not get too out of control. It's good. <laughs> and
0: when you've got to work the next day? Yeah. It, yep. It's a challenging industry. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned sours because sours, they are and they aren't a classic style in in a way. They've been with us for a long time, but the modern brew pub sour mm. is a riff on some of those, the, 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 those classics. Um, but to me, it seems to be the sort of beer style that does have a little bit of legs because it does tend to have the lower alcohol. Um, it doesn't have the bitterness that some people don't like in beer. It's got some, a little bit of fruit broadens the appeal to a wider audience. It just seems to be one of those ones that will have a bit of sustainability or a little bit of longevity to it more so than some of the the, the, the really fashionable beer styles. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think they're just, uh, you know, can be really easy drinking. And um, I've, you know, been chatting with a bunch of the bar staff here who, you know, might not necessarily be into beer, but they'll like all the sours that have come out. So yeah, I think, it yeah, like you say, just a, appeals to a bit of a wider audience. Um, and they're just good fun as well.
0: But when you and, and when you start drinking a beer like this, so the the, the cucumber sour that what's the ABV on this? Four percent. Four percent. So it's mm. it's not a really low um, ABV, but it's got a lovely. Cu- it, 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 it's almost a maritime like the the, the 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 cucumber comes through as almost like a. I don't know. It's a very coastal feel. Mm, oh, it's m-
1: inspired by the surroundings. Well, I was going to say maybe <laughs> it's a, a
0: little bit of suggestion because of of, of where we are but when you start drinking a, a beer like this you do start seeing the lines between say some of the seltzers um you know for example not being critical or anything but there is a bit of a continuum of flavors do you think that there is the start of beer becoming less This is beer, this is wine, this is RTDs, this is seltzer, you know, that we are starting to see a little bit more of a blurring of the lines between different drinks.
1: Yeah, I reckon that that could be a thing with the um, the, the Natty wines as well, which, Mm. you know, seem more, well, similar to a sour than to some wines that I've tried. Um, Yeah, and I've seen a bunch of kind of hybrid beers, you know, kind of made with grapes or something like that. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of blurring of the lines going on.
0: Does that excite you?
1: Yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not, you're not inspired by You're not enthusiastic? You, you
2: just...
1: No, I, I do think it's a, an interesting area to explore. Um, yeah, maybe even with yeast, like maybe some kind of uh, use of wine yeast in beer could be mm-hmm. a, something interesting to look into.
0: Are you still, you know, in, inspired by the career that you've ended up uh, in
1: yeah for sure and learning a new brew kit you know you kind of you're forced to it helps you become a better brewer I guess because you know you're trying to figure out the kit and you know learning whether a little tweak here or there has a, a big impact on the final beer so yeah it's just um it's just always a big learning curve which is really interesting
0: Last question um, as we come up to time. Is there one beer that you haven't yet made, the White Whale?
1: Yeah, I'm sure there are plenty.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But nothing's burning away.
1: Uh, I'd like to do a Dark Sour. I think that would be very cool. Dark Sour, okay. Mm, Yeah, maybe some kind of barrel-aged situation there.
0: So like a Flanders Red style?
1: Yeah, something like that or like a brown. Okay. Mm, Yep. Yeah, I think maybe that'll be in the future.
0: So what's your advice to anybody that's listening that is thinking of a career in the industry? Maybe they're in environmental science or maybe they're in computer programming or anything else. Should they throw their hat in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They should know that it'll be hard work but really, really good fun. Um, And, you know, as a, a first point, I guess, Education's always good, so enrolling in the, the general certificate, um, and then probably just pestering their local brewery to you know give them a maybe a volunteer job scrubbing floors for a while or something like that, just to get the foot in the door.
0: Uh, anything you would change uh, about your career?
1: It's been pretty good so far. Maybe <laughs> just slightly less hectic would be nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not sure what. We'll be able to do about that but uh we'll wait and see simone clements thank you very much for having this conversation about beer and congratulations on the beers you're making as well they it's it, you can never know whether it's a bintang effect as i like to call it the sitting in the place that makes a beer that makes a beer taste uh, pretty good but it what a venue and uh congratulations on the beers
1: thank you very much
0: and that was simone clements if you're a listener don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. Maybe I should just say the best beer discussion group on the internet. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show, or if you're a brewery even taking a subscription to the website. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, and that really does help. Or you can email us at producer at to share your thoughts. thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. As I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with brewer Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey
2: and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polar opposite to a Johnny Smoke Porter. So the whiskey component is this bright, fun, fruity, topical piece, right? And then the beer's like this dark, heavy, velvety, incredibly thick, viscous. You know, it's got bitter and it also has has sweet that play off each other. So that's the beer. And when you bring them together, then what happens is the, the whiskey is kind of like a, a prism. So you think Pink Floyd for me. You have the prism and the, the beer shines through it. But what, the, what it does by adding extra brightness, uh, lift, and alcohol to the beer, it separates the beer out and then you can see every single component that made that beer. When we're making the whiskey, in our mind, what we're trying to do is showcase the beer in a different way. Now the Johnny Smoke Port is such a complex and rich beer, but with the alcohol of the, of the whiskey coming through it, then you can see each of those, each of those components. That's the magic of this, this whiskey um, and the magic of the, the collaboration. Like, in all seriousness, being a whiskey nut for 15 plus years now, there is not a single whiskey on the planet that looks like this. It does everything that you would expect a whiskey to do, but in a completely different way. Um, And it's, yeah, it's like, it's exhilarating. It's exciting. Like, no other whiskey. Yeah, well, it's probably, it's my favorite whiskey to make every year because of that.
0: So as a distiller with 15 years experience, what has Chris learned from his experience in partnering
2: with a brewer? Yeah, probably that I'm a bit dumb. So I've, I started off and was like, nah, this isn't going to work. There's no chance that I'll, you know, this whole thing. I was so sceptical. And then we went through sort of one. So we sort of take different casts that look a bit different and we mix it with the beer and be like, what does it taste like? Oh, it doesn't taste very good. And we did that about seventh time. where It was actually the very last whiskey um, sort of representation of the portfolio of uh, what our casts have that we tried that I was like, oh, wow, that's, like, incredible. We have to do this. And at that point, I don't even think I'd spoken to Scotty. I think um, one of my outsiders, Johnny, had been speaking to, to Scotty about it and I called Scotty. I was like, we've got to do this thing. I'm excited now. So um, what I learned was that I don't know what I'm talking about, at least five years ago. Don't trust your instincts and try everything. Um, and then from there, there what we try to do each year is provide the same backbone of flavour um, but do it in a slightly different way.
0: So, if Chris was surprised that this collaboration could work, how has that changed over the course of five iterations of this whiskey?
2: You know, wolf number one was just about um, a pure expression of balance. Wolf number two was um, trying to provide the most of this sort of prism experience with the, the beer shining through and just showcasing. The third one was about. Excess. Absolutely. There should be too much of everything going on all of the time. It was just this outrageous over-the-top thing. The Wolf Number no. 4, which is my favourite. It's actually my favourite whisky um, that we've done in my 15 years. So, you know, 500,000 whiskies that I've blended. Um, that's my number one. I've got three bottles at home and they seem to go. It used to be four bottles. So, <laughs> that's, probably a, that's probably a pretty good sign. Wolf Number no. 4 was, to me just this balanced experience that just, it just showcased everything that was great in the beer. And just, it was just a little piece of um, exhilaration. It's just every time I try it, I just can't believe how much is going on in that. Uh, how easily you can see every component of the beer, but also the whiskey, but it's only flashes really quickly as it moves on to the next experience, I suppose, the next flavor. And then this year, this year is the one with the most beer in it. So usually what would happen is that we'd fill the casks all the way up with the whiskey to soak the beer out. But we haven't done that this year. We've actually only sort of 60% filled them. So the ratio of beer to whiskey is way higher. And So this year, the, the beer sits as this kind of solid block. Within the whiskey and it just showcases it in a completely different way, which is just which is really magical. And then if you add water to the whiskey, which sort of changes the surface tension, then it just erupts and launches out, which is just yeah, there's no whiskey like it on the planet. And it's just as you can tell, I get pretty excited.
0: Finally, with so much detail already provided, I asked Chris, just how this whiskey is made?
2: In terms of making this thing, there's this like horrific logistics thing that you've got to go through. So We send barrels of whiskey or or barrels that have held classic cask, which is one of, I think it's the most popular Australian whiskey ever sold, I think. So it's like, it's our, one of our flagships. And it's just, yeah, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. It's pretty cool. So these are export and sherry whiskey um, barrels, mostly from Sebeltsfield Winery and mostly the wood for those will be at least a hundred years old. So they would have held wine in it and then they've held fortified either a sherry or a port in it for you know 60, 70 years, probably refilled a couple of times, should of you know, through its period. But yeah, generally, generally around hundred year old, um, in terms of when it was chopped down as a tree. We get those, we fill it full of our whiskey. Then we empty our whiskey out, send them straight up to Melbourne, to, um, to Wolf, to, to Scotty. Scotty puts the beer in it, so it soaks out all this kind of porty, sherry, sweet um, whiskies, um, raises the ABV. But then we have an issue, because if, if Scotty just empties the barrels out and then sticks the buns back in and sh- ships them back to us in Tassie, then the chance of oxidization, the chances of the beer changing in a really negative way, you know, infection as well, are really high. And so the good thing about the product that we make being, you know, 60 plus percent is it freezes that that process. It freezes that, you know, those changes in the barrel. And so, yeah, what we actually do is we ship the whiskey up. So we'll blend the whiskey against what last year's um, beer was, get a pretty good idea of what it should be. And then what we'll do is we'll ship the whiskey up to to Scotty to put in the beer barrels. And so they'll empty the barrels and within 20 seconds of that barrel being emptied, there's whiskey going into that barrel. Um, And so you freeze and you capture the pure essence of that amazing beer, which is a pain in the ass, to be honest, but it's it's the right thing to do. It's what makes the whiskey so good.
0: So that's a little bit about Lark's Wolf Release 5, launching on August 8th this year. I know I'm looking out for this one. Watch out for a few more chats about beer and whiskey in the coming weeks, including a chat with Scott from Wolf of the Willows.